Hello everyone, and welcome to Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative and interesting side of the spectrum, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host, I'm a journalist based out in Reykjavik, Iceland, where today it's a horribly grey day, uh, with sheets of pouring vertical rain, it's like the day never really started. Um, it's that kind of dim light, you know, and that kind of damp feeling. But my day was lit up by the arrival of some unexpected good mail. A while ago I ordered a Hyperlight Drifter figure um, from Fangamer in the US, and it arrived today. Um, it's a really cool thing, it's like, a, especially if you are a, a digital gamer like me, then it's nice to have something physical to represent games that you really like, to have a collection of some kind. Um, I don't really like collecting the physical games that much, especially if they're on CD. feels like collecting dead media to me, kind of. I know there's an argument to be made for it, of course, but... So I like to pick up little things here and there, like I have the whole Breath of the Wild amiibo collection. Um, I'm getting a Sayonara Wild Hearts um, vinyl whenever that arrives. And I have a Kentucky Route Zero game, physical game in the future, because I love that game so much. Um, so it was really nice to get this Hyperlight Drifter figure. It's like a very well constructed, actually. Like if you own Amiibos, you'll know that they feel a little wobbly, especially if they have like a sword or something like that. But this Hyperlight Drifter one, it's really nice, a little bit heavy in the hand. Feels nicer quality than an Amiibo, to be honest. Um, so if you're interested in that, I mean, I posted a picture of it on my Twitter and Instagram. So you can see it at Gaming in the Wild, my little unboxing sequence of that. Um, and if you want one yourself, then pop over to Fangamer. And they've got a whole Hyperlight Drifter line of merch. And maybe you could have your day brightened up too. Uh, but the game that I'm talking about today isn't going to brighten up anyone's day, I think. It's, um, it's a psychological horror game. And that's not my usual genre, I know. But um, if you've been listening to the show for a while... You may have heard uh, episode 2 in which I covered Control by Remedy Entertainment. Now this game fascinated me um, from the first time that I laid eyes on the artwork, and I'm not quite sure why. There was some kind of quality to it, something about the conjunction of kind of aesthetic and subject matter. It kind of looked like a like an art house movie about the paranormal in its kind of style, the, the brutalist office block and the... Um, telekinetic abilities and this kind of slowly unfolding thriller of a plot. And so I played the game, liked it, um, but felt compelled to look in, into this universe more. Um, and so I was really happy to find out that Remedy Entertainment, the Finnish company behind the game, had made one other game in this universe. It came out um, way back in 2010 as an Xbox exclusive on the Xbox 360. And so, having pretty much bought a PlayStation 4 to play Control, I now found myself um, borrowing an Xbox 360 from a friend, so shout out to Helgi Snyer for that. Which means I've now got a rather alarming um, record of having to get one new system to play every new Remedy game. Um, maybe the next one's going to be PS5 and I'll have to do it again. But the game itself is another paranormal thriller. It's a narrative-driven um, third-person game about an author who goes through a very strange supernatural experience in a small town in Washington State. 
and the author's name and the name of the game is Alan Wake. So Alan Wake begins um, with a kind of an opening statement. Um, it's narrated by Alan himself, and he starts off with a Stephen King quote, and that is, Nightmares exist outside of logic, and there's little fun to be had with explanations. They are antithetical to the poetry of fear. So right from the off, the game is wearing its influences on its sleeve, and it's a really cool um, referential game in that way. Like Stephen King is definitely a reference point. There are moments where we think of uh, Christine, and The Shining, and Misery, um, especially in the kind of recurring Stephen King motif of an author whose writing starts to cross over into his reality. And that's where the game begins. It begins with a nightmare. Um, after Alan's little opening narration, we begin in the dark. Alan is speeding towards a lighthouse, and he's not sure why, and he hits someone. He comes out of a tunnel, he hits someone standing in the middle of the road. He gets out of his car, and his books have spilled all over the road. The body is gone. The tunnel behind him is closed up, the car is ruined, and so that's when we take control of Alan. And we have to get to the lighthouse, it's the intro of the game, a short introductory level. And on our way over there, the, the road bridge is gone. Everything is weird in this kind of flickering, dark nightmare. Um, there is like a notice board that has a QR code on it, and I scanned the code and was super disappointed that it only went to the game's Facebook page. I was hoping it might take me to some obscure literary reference. I only actually spotted it later on a video. Um, but on the, on the way to the lighthouse, um, Alan is beset by a dark figure with an axe, and it's the vengeful shade of the guy that he ran over and it kind of comes at him like a nightmare does it comes at his insecurities it tells him that he's his work is rubbish and he'd be nothing without his editor and that he acts like a god killing characters when it seems entertaining so it's like the kind of the revenge of all of the uh, the victims of Alan's thrillers come at him um, but Alan, Alan runs for the lighthouse he runs for the light and, and so this intro sets up the uh, the basics of the game in a way because in Alan Wake the darkness is a malevolent force that chases Alan throughout the game uh, and takes many forms and, and the light is his only real weapon against it so running to the lighthouse in the intro really sets this up as a theme in the game so Alan wakes from his nightmare with his wife Alice in a fancy apartment and the power goes out um, it's always kind of a surprise when that happens it's, it's a really cool story beat to throw in here especially because it turns out that Alice has a fear of the dark like a, a terrible terrible fear of the dark she can't deal with it whatsoever uh, which again ties into the theme it starts setting us up so after this kind of slightly eerie experience of the power going out uh, they get they get to bed early because they've got a big day in the morning Alice has planned a trip away to a small town called Bright Falls. 
And what comes next is really impressive. It really opened my eyes to what the Xbox 360 can do. I'm not sure what I was expecting from a game made in 2010, but the, the graphics of this game are excellent. It's third person, so we're always kind of in a camera located behind Alan. Um, and as we take the ferry over to Bright Falls, we can walk around this ferry. There is like an old guy standing at the, uh, the stern of the ship that you can talk to a little. He recognizes Alan. He's a late night host on a local radio station. Um, and as the ferry is crossing, we talk to him and we see um, a seaplane come in and land on the river. Um, and the town comes into view with big pine trees like uh, dotting the hills behind the town. And it's just very visually impressive. If it wasn't for the, um, the, the upgrades that we've seen in facial animation, this game wouldn't be incredibly out of step with something like The Last of Us Remastered, which came out years later. Um, and to which I have to say, Alan Wake does seem like an influence in some ways, but I'll talk more about that later. So we arrive in Bright Falls, and the first thing we have to do is go and pick up the keys for the cabin. Um, and we go to a diner. It's a typical small town, um, but there's something creepy going on in the diner. There's like a weird set of characters there, one of whom is a lady who's staring into a dark corridor, and she turns to Alan and says, you should be careful in the dark. But of course, he just shrugs it off. Um, he's going to go and find the owner. He heads down the corridor. We're still really in the intro of the game here, so I don't feel like I'm giving you any spoilers, uh, but this next moment is significant. It sets things up further. Um, and it's the first of many instances when Alan will come into contact with a dark force. Um, it appears as a, in this instance, as a, a woman wearing a, kind of a grieving outfit with a black veil. We can't really see her face. We can see her kind of black lipsticked lips. And she gives Alan the, the cabin keys and some directions. He comes out of the corridor, the woman still peering into the, the dark corridor. She's really weird. She reminds you of the log lady um, in Twin Peaks. And this is where we really get a sense of the second big influence on this game. If the first big influence is Stephen King, the second big influence is Twin Peaks, which is again worn on the sleeve of the game from the off. There's even a trophy that's called a damn fine cup of coffee, which you get if you find enough of the thermoses. That are, they're a little bit like the Koroks from Breath of the Wild. They're dotted around the landscape. They are collectibles that you get just for the, the achievement, really. And that's when things start to get really weird. We head to the cabin. It's on a strange island. And everything goes wrong from here on out. Um, things get very eerie. I'm not going to give away any plot details from here on because I think we're probably about, you know, half an hour, 40 minutes into the game, in case you want to play it yourself. But suffice to say, Alan finds himself negotiating a series of strange situations. Some of them are very much like the initial nightmare. So sometimes things go weird, the light goes weird, or he's out at night and shadows seem to come in and kind of flicker on the edge of vision, and Alan has to face enemies, much like the guy from the intro. And Alan's two main weapons are a torch and firearms, which he finds conveniently lying around. And what I like about this setup is that you, you're often running around in the dark with a torch, and you're shining a torch into every corner, and it really ramps up the tension in a kind of a cool way. And it's not even doing anything special. It's just the quality of the light and the fact that you're in the dark with a torch and there's this malevolent force after you. It really puts you in the situation 
uh, in a really cool way. And when these dark enemies appear from behind bushes or fences or containers or whatever, you can focus your torch beam onto them and kind of burn away their, their dark aura. And then once the aura is gone, you can take them out with guns. So torch batteries are every bit as valuable as ammunition in this game. Um, I'm playing on normal mode and I rarely ran out of um, ammo for one gun or another. Um, but I did run out of batteries a few times. Um, the only thing you can do in these kind of situations is sometimes you'll have flares, which you can drop to fend off groups of enemies. But these dark nighttime action sections of the game are also punctuated by street lamps. So if you can get to the next street lamp, they act as checkpoints. Um, you can heal under the street lamps and the enemies will be put off by it and vanish. So there are these very nervy sections of the game where you're kind of climbing or trying to get up to a mountain top or you're trying to get down to the lake surface or, you know, there are lots of creepy, cool, like an abandoned mine and kind of a sawmill and these kind of locations, these very horror novel locations that you traverse. And then there's also the story sections. So there's daytime sections too, where you have to advance the story, um, talk to people and interact with the people of the town, talk to the sheriff, talk to the, the creepy old folks. They're all really well motion captured, I have to say. There's just something about a well-placed, like, creepy, wise old person that really does a good job in a horror situation. And all of these people help you start to piece together the, the crazy mystery of what is going on in Alan Wake. And that's the game, really. It's um, sequences of kind of tense, interesting um, darkness combat where you're dealing with these kind of agents of the darkness and then these um, plot-heavy sequences where you're you're getting cutscenes, you're dis making discoveries, making connections. Um, lots of things come into play, like this kind of crossover between dream world and nightmares and reality. Uh, living and dead and the kind of the you know the the lines between reality and fiction and imagined realms they, they kind of become faded in this game in a really cool way a little bit like control it's a paranormal uh, event that is in control they're called AWEs that's an altered world event and actually throughout the game control you will find um, scattered around files that relate to the events that go on in Bright, Bright Falls. It's, it's literally a case that the Federal Bureau of Control is aware of and that they are investigating. So you'll find contextual material scattered throughout the game of Control, which I thought was really cool. There is, for example, an author called Thomas Zane, who's a, a story element in Alan Wake, um, and you can find his texts and poetry uh, in Control. And this kind of Easter egg planting is something that Remedy seemed to be quite into. For example, in um, in Alan Wake, you'll often find television sets, like you did in Control, actually, now that I think about it. But when you turn them on in Alan Wake, they're usually in, like, you know, a creepy cabin that you've just managed to get to as a source of safety, a, um, a place of light, somewhere in the night between, you know, 
lighthouse and sawmill or whatever you're trying to do in the game. And these TVs have on them a show called Night Springs rather than Bright Springs, and it's like a kind of a Twilight Zone-ish show that um, you can stand and listen to if you want, but it's it's hella creepy. So, so if you put together these really cool influences of like the Twilight Zone, the X-Files, uh, Twin Peaks and Stephen King, and this kind of episodic format of the Alan Wake game, it's told in episodes much like a TV show would be, like when you reach the end of one of the parts, it will literally say you've reached the, the end of part three of Alan Wake. And then it will have like a, a plot recap where it goes like in the last episode of Alan Wake and then um, gives you a little rundown of the events of the game so far. I mean, all of this taken together, um, it just gives the game like it permeates the game with a really cool, spooky, well-defined identity that kind of exists um, within the context of culture that we're aware of, but also seems to carve out something unique of its own. And and this is what I think Remedy succeeds at. It's not that they are reinventing the wheel, it's that they're just using their influences and their ingenuity and creativity to make really cool games that, that stand on their own two legs. And it seems like the games might be influencing others themselves, you know, it's not just a receptor for influence. Um, Last of Us 1 feels indebted to Alan Wake. There are many um, aspects of it that resonate, like the the wide linear format of travelling through a kind of a corridor of activity, uh, starting up generators. Like in The Last of Us, you get three revs to do it, the the scavenging and all of that stuff, and, and kind of the look and the pacing between dream and reality and indoor and countryside. It, it does feel like The Last of Us uh, took notes from Alan Wake, which is a big compliment to it, really. Um, I am at the halfway mark of Alan Wake now, so it's actually kind of a good place to do a podcast about a game, if you ask me, because I've gotten really like far into the meat of the game. I've seen the mechanics of the game. I've seen how it kind of confounds your expectations. It keeps staying creative. There is quite a lot of running around in the woods, um, shooting at stuff, but um, throughout the game, there, there are sections of different gameplay elements that are brought in. Um, it's, it keeps you on your toes. The story keeps you on your toes as well. I mean, if you're more of a horror reader than I am, you might see some of the stuff coming. But some of these kind of plot twists, I'm just kind of following the story along and really enjoying it as it comes. Um, I feel like it's, it's quite a kind of a blockbuster of a game, really. Um and as I delved into this game, I came across some really interesting uh, back history. For example, that Remedy worked on it for five years before it came out, um, even longer. That they, they sent a team out to the Pacific Northwest of the US um, and went to small towns around that region, including uh, the town where Twin Peaks was shot, North Bend, um, and some of the towns around that area. Astoria, places like that, and they took 6,000 photos so that everything from kind of the billboards to the the type of light switches that you find in the houses, these objects that you're going to focus on, you know, like the furniture or, um, yeah, the, the, the kind of TV set that they used, all of this kind of stuff, they had researched it um, by going out to these places, seeing what the inside of a hunting lodge looks like out there, so what the inside of a museum might look like. So it gives the the game this kind of sense of reality that really grounds you in what's happening 
And the game went through various forms as well, like along the way of this very detailed production. um, Remedy had initially planned for this game to be an open world game, where throughout the day you would gather gasoline to run generators that at night would light up the town and create safe zones. And so it sounds like there was kind of quite a big open world concept that didn't really happen. Um, And what they did was kind of refine the elements that they had made into this narrative structure. Um, It also sounds like, if you kind of research the game, that Microsoft became involved as the publisher and they um, exerted their influence in what they thought was going to work in the game too and what they thought wasn't working and that Remedy felt pressured by that. Mm. So it's no surprise that Remedy have now freed themselves of that relationship with Microsoft um, Control came out, published by 505 Games, and apparently Remedy now has the the rights back to Alan Wake um, after that 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 deal with Microsoft, and so you know Remedy have expressed an interest in revisiting this universe, um, and it's it's rich territory for sure. Um, the next Control DLC, for example, is called AWE Altered World Event, and that. DLC will visit the events of Alan Wake in the the context of the Control universe, so we'll see it from the side of the Federal Bureau of Control. Um, So I'm really curious about that DLC. I'm really curious if we'll actually see Jesse get to kind of come out of the the oldest house and get on site, or if it will be told in flashback, or if it will be told in one of the spaces of the oldest house. So I'm, I'm really glad that I'm playing Alan Wake now. Um, There is also a DLC for Alan Wake called American Nightmare, um, which I think I've got a scratch card for in the case of the game, because it's from an era when you needed such things. So I'm going to download that too, and I'm really enjoying just feasting on on the Remedy universe. Really excited about what they do next. So, great game. Um, I might do another segment on it when I've finished it and let you guys know how that went, or do a spoiler cast. That's Alan Wake. So that's Alan Wake. Um, I hope you enjoyed hearing about it um, and that that was useful for you. Um, I have noticed during the making of this podcast that um, my mind is just addled right now. And I'll tell you why. There's a little story to end the episode. Um, I was going to do a little bit about Bleak Sword, <clears throat> which is like a one-bit Souls-like mobile game. Um, which is actually very, very good and has these gestural controls that are really cool and it's part of Apple Arcade. Seeing as I can't really form coherent sentences without chopping them together, uh, by the way, sorry if there are lots of clicks and chops, that's why, um, I thought I would leave that one for another day. And the the reason for my tiredness is that I was dog-sitting for the last three days a young puppy called Panda, um, and we, we discovered some IRL games, all of my game time was taken up by uh, this new innovative game where I have to hold a piece of rope, she has to bite it and pull it out of my hands. Um, And as I tweeted, it was a very dynamic game with emergent elements. But it meant that um, most of my time was spent with this very needy puppy that was away from its owner for the first time. Um, And so it was really, really clingy. It was kind of, couldn't be out of the room from me, basically, because it was just so scared and nervous. But I tried to make it feel at home as best I could. 
but when it came to bedtime, um, I live in a kind of a two-floor house, um, and up the stairs is the bedroom, and the, the dog couldn't get up the stairs, it's too small, so I couldn't bring it up in case it tried to run down the stairs and hurt itself, so I left it downstairs to sleep, but it would just, honestly, as soon as I went to bed, it started barking and howling, so I ended up having to come down and sleep on my sofa with this tiny dog <laughs> curled up behind my knees. It's the only way that it would sleep, um, and it would wake up every two hours anyway and jump on me or bark at a passing car thinking that its owner had returned. Um, and so for the last two nights I've been sleeping kind of six hours of broken sleep each night and as I was recording this podcast I realised that my, my mind is just clicking in really weird ways from the lack of sleep. So I'm going to skip Bleak Sword today and I hope that that Alan Wake podcast um, and review made sense for you and, and was a good listen. So the puppy was adorable and tiring and now that she has gone... I'll be getting back to my usual life, <laughs> my old life and remembering what I was doing before and I'll be playing some more games. I've got some, I'm planning to finish Iron Wake uh, on this Xbox 360. I've also got a big pile of games there. I bought Fable 2 on the recommendation of my Twitter followers as an Xbox 360 must play game. I've never played a Fable game so that will be a first for me. Um, my friend Helgi Snyer who lent me the console also gave me a big wedge of games. He particularly recommended um, the Hitman games as favourites of his from this era. As sort of grand action games where you can stealth or you can brute force and just lots of cool environments and dynamic gameplay. And let me see, I'm just going to go and look at this pile here. We've got some Assassin's Creed games, we've got Bioshock, we've got the Tomb Raider remake, we've got L.A. Noir, Red Dead Redemption, um, Arkham Asylum and Shadow of Mordor. So if you are particularly fond of any of those games and think that I should definitely get on them, then please hit me up on Twitter at Gaming in the Wild and let me know. Also, if there are any 360 games that aren't on that list that you think I should definitely play, I would love to take your recommendations. So that's the show. Um, hope you enjoyed it. You can find me on um, Twitch streaming. I think I'll try and Twitch uh, stream a little bit of of Alan Wake maybe, but if not then maybe it will be one of the next games that I play. Um, you can also find me on Instagram and Twitter. Twitter is where I talk every day, Instagram is where I post gaming related imagery and comments and stuff like that. All of those are at Gaming in the Wild, um, so yeah, hit me up if you want to. I've also got a, a little Gaming in the Wild Discord server going as a little quiet corner of the internet where listeners of the show and just a couple of gamer friends of mine can come and talk about games, talk about movies and music and other things. If you're interested in taking part in the Discord server, then just shoot me a message and I will send you the link. This has been Gaming in the Wild. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye.